0: If you have a Bible this morning, let's open up to John chapter 6. We're carrying on. If you're visiting with us, we started at the beginning of the year with a study through the Gospel of John, and we're going to keep going for basically the year ahead up through Easter of next year. And so we're just going through this Gospel account verse by verse. And so if you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 6. If you have no idea where the Gospel of John is, that's okay. Feel free to use the table of contents We're looking, if you go, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will be there. Look for the big number six at the top, and then look for the little number sixty, which is where we're going to start this morning. You have a copy of the you have a pew Bible there in front of you, or if you'd like to access it on your phone. And also, if you do not have a Bible of your own, we have some little blue ESV paperbacks in the hall on the way out. Please feel free to grab one of those, write your name in it. We will happily buy another one. Please take it with you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. And also don't don't forget about the sermon reflection questions if you would like to gather a group and talk about this. We also have some little free giveaway copy of the Gospel of John. And so if you have somebody that you think would benefit from that, please take one of those and give it away. As you're opening up there to John chapter 6, starting in verse 60, I want you to think about a familiar phrase that you've probably heard. It's the phrase, the last straw. You may have heard a similar phrase that it's kind of taken out of, which is the straw that broke the camel's back. But you think, well, this is the last straw. I've had it. The first time this phrase appeared in print was May of 1816 in Scotland in the Edinburgh Advisor. And the most etymologists, which is a fancy word for people who study the origin and history of words and phrases, believe that this came from an old story or kind of an old oral tradition story that was kind of passed around about a man who once used camels to transport straw to market. And in an effort to get the most out of his animals and to get the most out of every single trip, you could imagine these trips took a while, so to get the absolute most benefit out of each trip, this guy would burden his camels to their limit. And one day he was proceeding to load his camels so heavily that the additional weight of a single piece of straw was enough to finally break the camel's back. Was, en- was Enough was enough. Now, we use it today to describe the end of a sequence of events leading up to a point where we finally say, okay, that's it. Enough's enough, and we bring it to an abrupt end. We say, this is the last straw, or that was the last straw. That's where we get that from. See? Fun facts to know and share. This morning as we think about that phrase, the last straw, as you know our current culture is swamped in conversations about race and sexuality and gender and over and over again the Bible and Christianity are constantly being referenced as being backwards and being ignorant. The teachings of Christ are called outdated or even dangerous and damaging by those trying to push an agenda that lies in direct conflict with the plain teachings of Scripture. Some of these plain teachings that are being attacked and seen as dangerous in this world. And by default, guys like me who proclaim this professionally as a vocation, I'm now being targeted and seen as someone who's dangerous and someone who's damaging to others. But these are just some of the, the uh, teachings that lie in conflict with this. Teaching, Christian teaching on unborn life, the sanctity of unborn life. Christian sexual ethics, the idea of marriage. Stories seem to come out each and every day about people having a straw that broke the camel's back type of moment when they encountered a teaching in the Bible that they claim made them walk away. Where They said, okay, at some point I finally heard enough's enough and I walked away. Now, some people have legitimately walked away from churches in the faith because they may have experienced abuse or public shaming or bullying. And we grieve with these people. And we do not discount their stories and experiences, and I am not including that group. What I'm talking about this morning is that more often than not, people come up against a clear teaching of Scripture that they simply don't like, and they decided to walk away from Christ instead of submitting to that teaching. Now, our tendency, as we think about how we all kind of relate to this, our tendency is to place ourselves above the Scripture as the ultimate authority, And we either wave off or just completely ignore the parts that we don't like. As you know, there was a famous, we used to live near Williamsburg, Virginia, and they had a copy of Jefferson's Bible where you could go, and it was basically a copy of the scripture where he had edited out or marked out all of the references to the divine. And it was just, he kept the stuff that he liked and he edited out the stuff that he didn't like. And we do that, don't we? And I want us to remember that at the heart of our sin struggle is the desire to be our own God, not serve God. We want to be God, not serve the one who is there. And we can all think of biblical passages that are hard to understand. We can all think of passages that call us to do hard things. Think about the Scripture calls us to love our enemies as ourselves and to pray for them, to give our time and to give our money away, to love Jesus more than our own families. I mean, there's lots of teachings in the Scripture that they're just hard to understand and wrestle with, and the Bible calls us to do lots of hard things. And as we read this passage this morning, I want you to think about a hard or difficult saying that has tempted you to throw your hands up and walk away. I also want you to think about, as you're thinking about that, where would you go to make sense of your life if you didn't have Jesus in the Scripture? Let's say you did decide to throw your hands up. Where would you go? What would you turn to? How would you make sense of your life? Okay, with that in our mind, let's go to John chapter 6, starting in verse 60 as we finish this chapter. Let's give attention to the reading of God's Word. When many of His disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And he said, "'This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father.' After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, "'Do you want to go away as well?' Simon Peter answered him, "'Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God.' Jesus answered them, "'Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil?' He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask the Spirit's help as we look to this text. Pray with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you recognizing that we need to hear a word outside of ourselves to redescribe reality to us and remind us of who you are. And so, Father, we pray as we look to this text that you would give us humble hearts, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would challenge and change and convict us, O Lord, as we look to you. We're grateful for your word, and we pray that you would meet us here and speak to, speak to us through it. These things we humbly ask in Christ's name, amen. Okay, as we look at this passage this morning, there's one big question that I want you to have in your mind. What do we do when we are tempted to turn back from following Christ? What do we do when we are tempted to turn back from following Christ? We're going to answer that questions with two things. These will be our two points this morning. Remember, we didn't have points last week. We got points this week. So if you like points, we're back in action. Our two main points this morning is we rely upon the Spirit, number one. And number two, we stay focused on the sun. So we rely on the Spirit. We stay focused on the sun. What do we do when we're tempted to turn back? Let's look at that first point. We rely upon the Spirit. Remember last week, or if you weren't here with us last week, we saw Jesus double down on his claims of divinity and the reference to himself as the true bread of life, where he was pointing to the true exodus of God's people, this freedom from a life of bondage under the crushing weight and burden of sin and misery by the death of the true Passover lamb. Remember, Jesus is, is linking himself with this exodus Passover account. Which in the Old Testament, you'll be reminded, the Old Testament says somebody's coming. So it all points forward to the coming of Christ. Jesus is saying, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel accounts say somebody's here right now. Jesus is saying, I'm that one. I'm the true bread. I am the true Passover lamb. I am the fulfillment of this Exodus account. That's me. I'm right here in your midst. And you see him doubling down on that. And he ended that portion of his discourse that we looked at last week with some confusing words about eating his flesh and drinking his blood in order to gain eternal life and this call to feed on him. And we hear these words and you're like, I don't really fully understand all of that. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, the second half says, Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. John 1.1, where our study began many months ago, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so we're called to feed upon that Word. It says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, I'm that Word. Feed on me. Feed on me and live. I'm the true bread. And look at verse 60 as our narrative opens this morning. Those who had been following Jesus, and the Greek word here implies a large crowd so many of his disciples heard it this is kind of the larger crowd that has been following Jesus it's not just the 12 as we see them reference specifically but as Jesus's kind of fame and notoriety has spread a larger and larger crowd has been following him and they're kind of lumped in with the disciples the followers of Jesus and so we see these people overhearing Jesus's bread of life discourse and the Pharisees are there in the crowd as well and they didn't quite understand what Jesus was saying about feeding on his flesh. And you see verses 53 to 58 where he talks about that. We, looked, we covered that last week. And so now on the other side of that teaching, we hear them saying it's a hard saying. This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? The Greek word there, skleros, means like rough or stiff or hard. It's this perplexing thing. They're like, this kind of rubs against us. I don't really understand this. It's hard to understand. Here's what the ESV Study Bible said about this section, which I thought was really helpful. Kind of a long quote, but hang with me. It says, "...unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood cannot be intended literally, for no one ever did that." As Jesus has done frequently in the Gospel, He is speaking in terms of physical items in this world to teach about spiritual realities. Here, to quote-unquote eat Jesus' flesh has the spiritual meaning of trusting or believing in Him, especially in His death for the sins of mankind." Similarly, to quote-unquote drink His blood means to trust in His atoning death, which is represented by the shedding of His blood. So we have that long quote. We're talking about what Jesus meant when He said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it's not like, don't be cannibals. That's not what Christ is calling us to do. But just to trust in what He's done by faith. But over and over again throughout the Gospel account, we see people missing the spiritual importance of what Jesus is talking about and pointing to. An example of this where he says, tear down this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it. And he says that and the people who hear it just like, what? It took 40 years to build this. And you say you're going to build it in three days? And they miss the, um, the importance of what Jesus is talking about. They miss the spiritual truth behind what he's saying. And you just see that over and over again. And look at verses 61 and 62. Where Jesus is essentially saying here, if you thought that was difficult to understand, wait until you see what's coming up. We think about the cross and the resurrection and the transfiguration and His ascension. He was like, if you had a hard time understanding that I am the bread from heaven that has come down, wait until you see what happens when I actually go back up there. You haven't seen anything yet. You think that was hard? Wait till what's coming. He refers to himself again as the Son of Man, which is one of his favorite designations for himself. He is the promised one from the heavenly court in Daniel 9, now come in the flesh. He said, I'm that guy. I'm the fulfillment of that. Here's what James Hamilton Jr. said. He said, the confusion of the disciples does not prompt Jesus to back away from saying things they do not understand. Instead, he asserts more truth that they do not understand in order to challenge them and align their thinking with the reality of who he is. They must think their way through the depths of the Incarnation to the heights of the heavenly place from which Jesus came and to which he will return. And so you think, okay, that was a long quote. What's the big point? Jesus is pressing his disciples and us today gathered here to start seeing our world through a different set of glasses. Gated and, ga- guided and aided by the Holy Spirit, not solely by what we can experience ourselves. Jesus is calling us to see our world through a new pair of eyes. Through a new spiritual set of glasses aided by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14 that we referenced last week talks about man in his fallen state cannot understand the things of God because they are revealed spiritually. We need a new life. We need a new heart. We need new eyes. We need new everything. Because again, we're the dead rusty cars in the woods. We need all of this new stuff. We cannot, we cannot understand who God is apart from His work in our heart. Verse 63 drives this home. Look at verse 63. Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. What Jesus is doing here is speaking about the new life that comes from being born again. Born from above by the Father's will and the work of the Holy Spirit. Go back to John 3 with Nicodemus where he says, you know, man, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, again, that flies over his head. He's like, what do you mean? Like, how can I go back into my mother's womb? He says, no, 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 no. You need a spiritual rebirth. You need this birth from above. You need a new life. And I want you to notice as we move through here in this Bread of Life discourse, all three members of the Trinity are referenced. And they're all referenced as separate persons who are active throughout this Bread of Life discourse. They're all separately active but united in one purpose. It's just interesting as you go back. All three members of the Trinity are present here, united in this work of redemption to draw those whom God has set His love upon into a saving faith and to work that faith out. When it says here that in verse 63, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Other translations say the flesh is no avail. The Greek word here for flesh is the word sarx, which refers to man's fallen nature apart from Christ. The, the man in his natural state. This man who is fallen and his nature, his whole disposition is opposed to God. So it says that flesh, that one, is of no avail. The Greek word is a a fellow. Which means unable to assist. It says the fallen flesh is unable to do this. It's no help at all. It takes the work of the Spirit. Again, it's a reminder that all of salvation from beginning to end is of God. And so remember, the Pharisees were in the crowd too. And what do we know about them? They had spent their whole lives trying to get close to God through their religious works of the flesh temple ritual stuff and washings and going and doing and that's what their whole life was bound up again paul says paul talks about that he says i that was my religious resume i kept all the feast days i did all the temple stuff i was a pharisee of pharisees i did all of these things but jesus constantly warns the pharisees throughout this gospel account and as we will see he will continue to do he warns them that their hearts are actually far from god He says, you're doing all the right things, but for all the wrong reasons. They denied the Messiah. They denied the Father who sent Him. And they proved that the Holy Spirit's not in their heart. When they deny that Jesus is who He says He is, they also deny the Father who says, I sent Him. And they deny and they show and they prove that the Holy Spirit's not in their hearts. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2 says, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So, as we say, as the radio message of the gospel is going out, we understand and know that it takes a work of God's Spirit. You know, we sing, Come, thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Work in my heart. Tune me in, O Lord, to this message as it goes out, to hear your voice. I need you and I want this to be a warning for us to do for us today it is the Holy Spirit that grants new life and saving faith not the works of our flesh not simply repeating a prayer not simply sitting in a pew it is not those works in and of himself that bring salvation is the work of God's spirit your rear end can be in a pew while your heart is far away from God Gordon Ketty said this, "It takes more than schooling to make a Christian. It takes a work of God's sovereign grace." Oh. It's not just acquisition of knowledge. That's not what makes a Christian. It takes a work of God's sovereign grace to change our heart. I want you to take a moment and examine your life. These questions are for me, too. Do I have any genuine affection for Christ? Can I see the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians 5, and 23 growing in my life? Do I see the fruit of the Spirit growing in my life, even in just a little way? Am I regularly repenting of my sin as I see my need for Christ? Is my life bending more towards Christ over time, or is it bending more towards sin and more towards the world? Just good questions for us to ask this morning, and... 2 Peter 1, 5 through 5-11 gives us a helpful grid to think through as we're called to confirm our calling and election in the Lord and to grow in grace. Here's what Martin Luther said. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Constantly going before the Lord and saying, yes, that's me, I have sinned and fallen short. I repent of this sin. I know that this sin drives me from you, and so Lord, I repent. It's this life of repentance Eugene Peterson also said the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. With bits, fits and starts, hills and valleys, but yet a life of a long obedience in one direction. Galatians 5:16 tells us to walk by the spirit. As we continue on and thinking about this and the work of the spirit that's needed, look in verse 64. Where Jesus knows the hearts of his audience and he continues to drive this home by challenging their unbelief. Look in verse 65. Verse 65 where it says, and he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by my Father. Jesus reiterates what he said in verse 44, which we talked about last week. It's impossible to come to Christ without the enabling effectual call of God. Our moral inability to choose Christ must be overcome by the gracious and sovereign power of the Spirit because we are like the Valley of Dry Bones. It takes this work of the Spirit in our hearts to bring regeneration and new life. By God's grace, we are made willing and we're drawn into the Father's loving embrace and changed from an enemy into a child by the atoning work of Christ and the call of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. This is a difficult and mysterious thing to understand. I don't fully understand it. Nobody does. It's a mysterious thing to understand and comprehend and believe. How does all this work together? But the Scripture clearly teaches it. And thank God it's in there. Because it gives us hope. Think about you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, but God. Not you, but God, being rich in mercy, even with the great love in which He loved us. He made us alive together with Christ and united us to Him. Think about the beauty of the gospel. I don't know how all that works, but I'm grateful that it's in here. I'm glad that John 6, is in here. What we talked about last week. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. I'm glad that verse, that these verses that we look at. Verse 63 is in there. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God it's not left up to me. If it was left up to me, I would be lost in hell. Under the wrath of God. Under His just judgment. If it was up to me. If it was up to you, that's where you would be as well. What it does is it takes us out of the equation as we look to Christ and say, Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. It is all of you. Thank you, Lord. It gives me such hope. If that wasn't true, where would I go? Verse 66, after this discourse, look what happens. Many people decided this kind of teaching was the straw that broke the camel's back, and they walked away, and they no longer followed Christ. Sadly, I've been only ordained for ten years, but... I've known many people over those 10 years who have either walked away from the faith altogether or simply retreated into this man-centered husk of the faith that allows them to remain comfortable, unchallenged, and unchanged because it focuses more on self-help than the reality of sin. The necessity of the cross, the importance of being active in the local church, and the call to discipleship. Anybody who's been in ministry for more than five minutes knows this. As you see people retreat back into a more man-centered version that they can control and contain. That allows them to be comfortable. That allows them to be unchallenged. That allows them to look to other things beside the word as it calls them to do hard things. And you just watch people wander off. It's a sad thing. We see this here in this verse in verse 66. And look at verse 67. As Jesus sees the once enthusiastic crowd disperse after hearing his non-fluffy sermon, that's exactly what he did. He gave a sermon. It wasn't very fluffy, was it? And with the cross always on the horizon, his question to the twelve is still piercing. It is like a sword through our heart this morning. Where he looks at the twelve and he says, do you want to go away as well? Is this too much? Do you want to go away as well? As it becomes more and more apparent that Orthodox biblical Christianity, especially in the area of sexual ethics, has a target painted on its back in an ever secularizing age, make no mistake this morning, oh, church, that those who adhere to Orthodox biblical Christianity, especially in the area of sexual ethics, will also become targets of a God hating culture. It's coming. The quote-unquote called-out ones by God, that's the Greek word ekklesia, the church, the called-out ones. Make no mistake that the called-out ones by God will be more and more called out by the culture. So what do we do? Where do we go? What do we look to? John 15, 18-19, we'll get to this many moons from now. It says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The words of Jesus... If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Look at verses 70 and 71. This is tough. Think about this. Even one of Jesus' closest disciples, Judas, would betray him. Even one of the twelve would betray him. But you got, oh, Dave, that's so heavy, that's so weighty. Yeah, it is. It's tough. But there's hope. There's hope. Where's the good news? Where's the good news? There's hope because of Jesus Christ, because of the sovereignty of God. Second point, shorter than the first. What do we do when we're tempted to walk away? Number one, we rely upon the Spirit. We trust His work in our hearts. He who began a good work in you will carry that work until the day of completion. All of it's a work of the Spirit. But yet we also, we stay focused on the Son. Where do we fix our gaze as we see the Spirit working? I want you to put yourself in the shoes of one of the twelve disciples as you watch the loud, the the large crowd disperse in disappointment. And you can imagine they're wondering, is this Jesus guy all he was claimed, to, all that he was cracked up to be? Put yourself in one of the shoes of the twelve as Jesus just finished this discourse, and you see all these people wandering off, and you're like, did I miss something here? Are they right? Even. Even they didn't understand the full weight of Jesus' words. And by their own statement in verse 60, some of Jesus' teaching felt like sandpaper and it was difficult to hear. But as Jesus' piercing question hung over them, do you want to go his way as well? Even as that piercing question hung over them, Simon Peter spoke up. And we're glad that he did. His response is one that we should cling to as we wrestle with the Scripture and face ridicule, persecution, and hardship for for claiming Christ as Lord in our work, in our school, on social media, etc. Peter's response is like a life raft we cling to as we follow the narrow way that leads to life while we see our friends and family possibly walk through the wide gate that leads to destruction. Peter's response to this piercing question is like a balm when we grow weary of our own sin And get frustrated by our constant unfaithfulness and wandering hearts. When you are tempted to just throw your hands up and turn back, let these words hang over you. As Jesus says, do you want to go away as well? Listen to Peter's response. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Think about this for just a moment. Think, spirit, think seriously now. What else could you possibly go to for assurance into eternity apart from Christ and His Word? Where do you go? What gives you true and lasting hope? Seriously, where would you go? What else would you look to? Money? You can't take it with you. Status? It's going to go away. Self-help books? Come on. We can't self-help ourselves into anything. We need the Spirit to change our hearts. Grades? Grades? You're going to get an F. Relationships, they're going to go away. In the end, all of these things will leave us, won't they? But Jesus won't. Because he made an unfailing promise. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Everything else will pass away, but I will be there. The amazing thing about the gospel, we're bringing it down, the landing gear's out. Here we go. The amazing thing about the gospel is that Jesus never threw his hands up. He never walked away when he heard the call of God the Father to lay down his life for his enemies so that they could be redeemed by by his death on the cross. You think about a hard saying? I'm sending you to go lay your life down for these enemies because they are mine. And Jesus did not do what we would do if we're honest with ourselves. We would have thrown our hands up and said, You're crazy, I'm not doing that. But greater love has, no, has none than this, than one that would lay down his life. And we think about this. Jesus didn't throw his hands up and walk away when he was called to do something really hard, which is lay down his life for rebellious, broken people like you and like me. Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Jesus said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And We think about Jesus in the midst of this, and we think, where else would we go? And Peter's response, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? Think about what Jesus did. He underwent hatred and mocking and betrayal so that he could actually secure grace, mercy, and forgiveness for all that the Father had given him before the foundation of the world. Is this thing on? Think about that. The full weight and burden of our sin and rebellion was loaded onto his back. And he carried every bit of that weight all the way into the tomb and to death itself. All of our sin was stacked upon him. Think about that camel. Stacked upon him. As he walked into the tomb, into the grave itself, into death, he carried that burden, our burden, he carried with him. And thanks be to God, he left it there. He left it there. To the praise of his glorious grace. And now as the people of God, those who have been, been given that new life, those who have been redeemed, those who have been reclaimed, those who have been restored, those who have been forgiven, those who are safe and united to Christ, if you are here and you put your faith in Christ, all those promises are true for you. All those who have placed their whole, the whole weight of their faith, the whole burden of their faith on Christ alone, come what may, regardless of what may come, Hear another sentence hang over you as we close this morning. Remember, Jesus asked this piercing question, do you want to go away as well? Peter says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And today, as we struggle, as we move forward, as we think about all of the sin that was dealt with on the cross, and come what may, we are going to place our full weight and trust in Christ, no matter what comes as we think about the reality of that, I want you to hear another sentence hang over you. And I want you to remember as we hear this sentence, these are the words of eternal life uttered by the Holy One of God. The Word became flesh that dwelt among us, undeserving as we are. This is an unfailing promise to those who put their faith and trust in Christ this morning. Come what may, hard as it may be. You want to hear that sentence? It is finished it's done the work of redemption is done hear that sentence echo long and clear over your heart this morning as you think oh but my faith is so weak i don't know if i could stand up i don't know if i could do it hear this sentence (laughs) it's finished it is finished to the praise of christ amen let's pray Father, thank you that it is finished, and may we look to you. May we look to Christ alone. May we find our put our full, the full burden and weight of our faith upon you, Lord. It is a hard thing to walk by faith and not by sight, but yet, Lord, we hold out and hold on to this great promise that you will be with us until the very end, and that one day, someday, O oh Lord, when you call us home, that our faith will be trans will be changed into sight as we are able to gaze upon you and know that all of it was true father forgive us for the ways that we've wandered forgive us for the ways that we've wanted to throw our hands up when we've heard a clear teaching of the scripture that we just don't like and we say well i don't have to listen to that part lord forgive us help us to know that every bit of your word is for our good and for your glory And, and Father, may we submit to it as we see it as the ultimate authority in our life. Even when it asks us to give our money away, to give our time away, to pray for our enemies. Lord, to bless those who curse us. Father, even as we do that and we trust your word, Father, give us the obedience that we need, Father. Help us to see that it is a great joy to do your word. Father, thank you that you are with us even to the end of the age. And, Father, thank you that it is finished. That all of our striving means nothing, Lord, when it is in the shadow of the cross for all that you have done. And so, Father, we ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.